if you ever grow um, tomatoes or you you grow um, uh, anything, your relationship to food changes. Your value for it is increased dramatically. You know how precious that food is to you because you've grown it. You've seen the energy and the time. You know what goes into growing food. So the thought of wasting that food is just absurd. Why would you waste it? It's so precious. You know, it's like wasting money or wasting something that's precious to you. It just doesn't make sense. There's nothing more social than sharing a spritz with friends. And Spritzing Hour shares the stories of those who bring us together over great food and drink. I'm Claire Warner, co-founder of Acorn, a range of non-alcoholic aperitifs, and I'm on a mission to prove just how important great food and drink are in connecting us to one another. I want to expose the bitter truth from the rule breakers and game changers who are turning the table on traditional food and drink culture and reshaping our social lives for the better. I'll be hearing from chefs, growers, bartenders, writers, and a whole host of people who, like me, are curious and passionate about how we can enhance that simple act of grabbing a seat at the table and eating and drinking together. Welcome to Spritzing Hour, a brand sparkling new podcast where I'll explore how life's simple pleasures can bring us closer together. I'm Claire Warner, co-founder of Acorn, and today I'll be chatting to Doug McMaster, world-famous chef and zero-waste warrior, about food, connection, and not having a bin. I've only recently got to know Doug in the last year or so, and I didn't think it was possible to get as excited about the concept of flavour, food systems, and waste until I met him. His restaurant Silo in London has received international acclaim for its wonderful food and zero waste approach, yet it's often reduced to the soundbite, it's that restaurant without a bin. Believe me, it's so much more than that, which Doug explains in our conversation. Obviously, this year has decimated the hospitality sector. And while Silo currently sits silent, Doug has turned his attention towards a home cooking school with a difference. I always feel that there's never enough time with Doug and like a sponge I want to soak up all of his incredible ingenuity and rule-breaking ideas. This conversation was no exception. I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. This week I'm joined by the pioneer in zero waste industry and the owner of Silo, a brilliant zero waste restaurant up the road in nearby Hackney. He's also recently launched the Zero Waste Cookery School, which I'm excited to hear more about. Welcome, Doug McMaster. Hi, Claire. How are you? Well, good, thanks. How's it going? Very well, thank you. Yeah, very well. Lots of yeah. uh, plates spinning. Oh, yes, I can imagine. Uh, you look warm and snug, because uh, I know that the yep. weather's a bit crappy today up there in, in Old Hackney. Um, so how have, things, how have things been since uh, we last spoke, which was in January? Great, thank you. Yeah, really, really good. Um, so we bounced back from the, uh, the global pandemic with a, a sort of um, a kind of um, a, a more casual silo, um, and it's it's never been stronger. It's never felt more. Um, yeah, uh, it's like the stars are, are sort of aligning. I wouldn't say they were completely aligned, but uh, perhaps before it was more of a kind of a chaotic constellation of stars. And it's it's starting to feel like yeah, we found what it is that we were always meant to be doing. And I mean that in the, um, in the sense that, you know, we were always as a menu format searching for um, 
the right balance between being accessible, but then expressing quite thoughtful dishes in a way which was um, uh, yeah comfortable to the guest, not intimidating to the guest. Um, uh, you know, sustainable for the staff to to, to sort of propagate. Because um, before we had just like a tasting menu, and it was certainly kind of the the, the kind of the greatest expression of the sort of creative conceptual side but it was also quite um yeah it was quite taxing on on the team and it was very very stressful and it's also not that accessible to people and now we've got this much more fluid um small plates kind of a la carte menu which sounds quite obvious <laughs> and basic but it, it is just working so nicely for us um you know we've got a very unique supply chain um a very unique bunch of people trained um to work in a very unique way um and it's just working so well since we reopened after the lockdown so yeah no it's it's going really well thank you I'm glad to hear that so for people who don't know about silo can you give us a little bit of a a, a bit of background about the restaurant and um and then we'll get into the story of Doug, where Doug came from. Let's start with Silo. Sure. Yeah, no, absolutely. Well, I was uh, I'm a chef of, of fine dining pedigree and um, and had always worked in these Michelin star restaurants and sort of never felt kind of completely um, in tune with that world. And there was always kind of this disposition. Um, and I met an artist and uh, he was a guy who was making installations and kind of sculptures out of waste materials namely like industrial waste and um yeah he and i had this kind of quite abstract conversation and he said to me do you think you could not have a bin and it was this really bizarre sort of moment and um i'd never thought of anything you know this was nearly 10 years ago. well this was nine years ago and um never thought about waste really it was just something that happened uh, you know the end of the day it was waste um that was as far as i thought about it and um and yeah so silo began with that question you know could you not have a bin and um so yeah i started the first silo started in 2012 so eight years ago in melbourne in a little tiny cafe as a pop-up concept um i later then came back to england um and opened silo as a restaurant in uh, 2014 uh, in Brighton um, and only just uh, after a five-year lease moved the restaurant to London um, but yeah just to give uh, the listeners a an understanding of I guess what separates Silo from another restaurant is exactly that kind of uh, question you know can we not have a bin well Silo is a restaurant that doesn't have a bin so the answer to that question was yes <laughs> I could um, operate without a bin um, yeah, and that's sort of been, it's become my life's work. And um, the way we achieve uh, not having a bin is actually quite straightforward. And I can easily describe that kind of system. Um, and it's basically we get everything directly from uh, nature or the origin of where that food or thing is um, is born. So all of our vegetables come straight from the vegetable farm. All of our dairy comes straight from the dairy farm. Wild food comes straight from the wild and so on and so forth. And because of that, we can avoid any unnecessary packaging, such as plastics and other single-use materials. 
And all of the vessels that our food is delivered in is a reusable vessel. So, for instance, we get our milk and our cream in a stainless steel pail, which will forever be reused. Our vegetables come loose in crates. All of our dry goods come in paper bags, which can then be composted or reused and so on and so forth. Um, so, yeah, so there's this kind of circular direct supply chain. The second uh, pillar, I call it, of zero waste is whole food preparation. So because we're getting milk and cream in a pail um, and we're not buying butter and creme fraiche and et cetera on yogurt where we're making it all from scratch. So this is the whole food preparation. We do every single thing from scratch because that's the way we find the food um, in nature. It's whole, you know? And so we have to, we're forced to prepare everything from scratch from milling flour to churning butter, to rolling oats, to fermenting food scraps, to everything is done in house. Um, so that's the second pillar. The third pillar is composting. So by the time the food has been delivered and cooked and eaten or not, there is um, a remaining, uh, well, you could call it waste, uh, I wouldn't call it waste, but it's it's food that is then uh, composted. Um, other than food, we have like, you know, cardboard or paper, all of that is then turned into compost that goes back to the farm where the food grows and it becomes food for the new, new crop, for the vegetables, for the soil, for the, you know, and so it's this kind of closed loop and that food waste or, you know, waste is not actually waste, it's food um, for that kind of closed loop. Um, so yeah, those three, three pillars, direct trade, whole food preparation and composting that is, uh, in a nutshell, there's a lot more nuance to it, but uh, that is how we don't have a bin. Do you, I'm jumping about a bit, but I'm just interested. Do you get frustrated by the question or the, or the, uh, inference that you're only just about the zero bin and not all of the other things that you've just described? Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, I mean, it, yeah, it depends who's saying it, how they're saying it. Um, I definitely don't like to be called a zero waste chef. Um, but it's, I guess it's, you know, I understand at the same time, you know, the world is full of information and there's a lot of it, you know, and you just have to navigate that information. And zero waste as a sort of like label is, is easy to navigate. And so if people want to like do that that's absolutely fine like i i also have a, a, a i have a bad memory and i struggle to like i need to label things so i can remember them um so i i guess that's why you know i might be labeled that because it's just easier to to refer to me as, as that zero waste chef um the sort of no bin reference i find quite um it started as a as a, as a kind of an abstract conversation like you might find in an art gallery and I kind of like that it is quite um at least in my mind the way my perspective of not having a bin is is quite a thought-provoking one and so I, I quite I quite like you know the the lack of a bin because it's like symbolic isn't it a bin is a symbol of an industrial food system um which is I say that silo is a pre-industrial food system and the bin if you look at you know what industrialism gives the world it's it's like, well, it gives us a lot of things, efficiency, it gives us a lot of good things, a lot of bad things as well. And, and But waste is a direct um, kind of um, circumstance of industrialism and waste doesn't exist outside of industrialism. You know, you don't have... Um, 
you know animals don't have landfill uh you know the bin doesn't have a uh, sorry the jungle doesn't have a bin um it's just the humans and the industrialism that we create that then necessitates a bin yeah the bin is a powerful symbol of uh, all that we could yeah get rid of right without the bin. absolutely absolutely <laughs> So, so let's go back to, uh, you know, the early Doug years. Were you always interested in food? Uh, no, <laughs> not at all. I actually still would label myself not as a foodie. I, no, uh, no I'm, I'm, you know, you're sort of a product of your environment, aren't you? Um, and this nature-nurture thing. And I was raised in a town or near a town called Retford, um, it's in the north, um, near Sherwood Forest, so mm-hmm. South Yorkshire, um, Nottinghamshire border, and um, just in a small town, very sort of working class, um, ex-miners, sort of, t- pardon me, ex-miners town, and food was just not part of that culture, still isn't, you know, it's, it's just not... Um, what people do, you know, the high streets are full of um, Costa coffees and, you know, chains and um, there is not a great deal of um, organic markets around and there's not a lot of enthusiasm around food. And and that was just the way I was raised and, you know, food was fuel and um, that's just how I was raised. And I don't know, I just didn't have a sort of a passion for it. Um, and, um, and then, yeah, I, I only became a chef because I didn't, uh, have any other option. I am quite dyslexic and, uh, have dyscalculia, which means the same, but with numbers. So <laughs> didn't get out to a good start, you know, not being able to read and write and, and add up thing, add up numbers. Um, and so, yeah, just was miserably bad at, at school and, um, in that town, I was just like, well, what do I do? It was either be, you know, going to some, a trade, basically. And I don't know, I just, um, something about the, the kitchen attracted me. Uh, it wasn't the food. It was, I don't know, it was just something about it. And then, yeah, I became a pot wash and then a chef and loved it. And loved, loved like breaking away from this kind of educational system because uh, it just is, just wasn't for me. And obviously it is brilliant for a lot of people, but... It definitely didn't um, um, didn't work for me, and uh, and then yeah, there's just something about being in a kitchen that felt like I was on a pirate ship. It was this sort of the rules, and there was kind of discipline, but there was also this kind of freedom of speech and this kind of freedom to express yourself in you know quite volatile ways. And um, in the particular kitchen I started in was 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 you know I, I probably couldn't repeat some of the things that happened on this podcast, but um, yeah, it was pretty wild and I you know I just needed that because I'd kind of been so um stagnant at school my mind was just like um switched off and I just needed stimulation of of a different kind and yeah kitchens gave me that and um yeah and that was it so I fell in love with being a chef before I fell in love with food and I would say that I love food um but it's still not necessarily natural to me you know I see my friends who are proper foodies and food is so romantic to them like to the bone and I admire that and love that and I'm relatively good at accommodating that you know with my restaurant but um but uh but yeah no it, 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 yeah um 
that's not to say you know that that I've not made food my life. I have, but it, it I, you know, the thing that drives me um, is 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 this um, system change. And there's a lot of the things that I saw as a chef um, that were were pretty pretty terrible, kind of wrong with the industry, um, wrong with the culture. Um, so you know, I'm sort of highlighting like the kind of gang cultures that exist in kitchens and it was bullying and violence and um yeah really bad kind of way to live and way to work and way to teach and way to just behave and i wanted to change that and the the waste that exists you know it wasn't until this artist that kind of opened that world to me but i i guess that i wanted to make the world a little bit better you know because i felt like i'd been dealt a, a, a bad hand you know I, I didn't do, you know, this sort of chip on my shoulder that I uh, attained from schooling, you know. Um, I really had something to prove and I just had a, uh, uh, yeah, uh, I just needed to make the world a little bit better, uh, which sounds really naff, but um but it's true and and that's sort of my that's the thing that motivates me and um I learned somewhere along the way that, you know, if I'm going to make the change i want i the, the key to that is by making the food um like world class you know to, to 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 make the food that incredible that no matter what it is is happening under the hood i.e zero waste people will want to be part of that because the food's that delicious um so yeah that's that's uh, i hope that answers your question yeah i mean it's fascinating to me that um you know, I've eaten at Silo a few times and there's such a there's such a lot of love in what you produce. And um it's interesting that you you discovered that sort of almost after you know the the the, the, the career, then all of a sudden it was like an awakening of actually this is a great environment environment for me to be in and I love the crew and I love what the process. And mm. then after that came oh and the food stuff is interesting as well yeah yeah. can you talk a little bit about you know maybe the the aha moment when it all maybe crystallized for you when you were like food there's you know there's making the world a better place you know Mm. structures and yeah talk a little bit about that that moment sure there's a there's a couple um there's a couple of um the main there was one main sort of uh, revelation in Melbourne when we were trying to not have a bin, um, and that was when we were making. I was making shortbread, and uh, I was milling flour um, and churning butter to make shortbread. And this is the whole food preparation bit, which was part of our basic plan, and has stayed the plan forevermore. Which is the three pillars that I sort of outlined before. So yeah, I was milling the flour and churning the butter, and um, it was a Monday evening in in Melbourne, Melbourne, and it was just me in this little kind of box cafe, this tiny little cafe. Um, and I remember we had this wine on tap, and I was drinking the all the wine. Um, I was just doing some research and development, I guess, and um, I definitely was a bit tipsy and uh, making the shortbread, and and the sort of revelation happened then, and it. It was, you know, I, t- I tried the shortbread and it was just remarkable. It was just like I'd, I'd made thousands of shortbreads in my life. I worked at St. John, um, at Bread and Wine in, in, in East London. And we, 
you know, shortbread was always on the menu and I've made it thousands of times. Anyway, and I made shortbread in this little cafe, a little bit tipsy in Melbourne. And um, I remember thinking to myself, oh my God, this is the best shortbread I've ever tasted. Um, and, you know, every other shortbread that exists in the world is just, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's just insignificant next to this. This is, this is unbelievable. And I was just like trying to like un- Un- unravel this puzzle of why it could taste so good and i was like well you know i've milled the flour and i've churned the butter and i guess i cultured the butter and i you know used this amazing ancient grain for the flour and you know that's and it's whole wheat rather than like processed white flour and i'm like oh my god like i was trying to not have a bin and as as a sort of um uh, um uh, an added bonus I'd found a superior product. This tastes so much better, but I wasn't trying to make a better tasting shortbread. I was trying to not have a bin. And then I started thinking, oh my God, like what else can I make from scratch in this sort of zero waste supply chain way? And it tastes better. And, you know, so I started making yogurt and all these other things, making scratch and kind of tweaking the knobs um of how we do those things you know instead of using white flour you use whole whole wheat and instead of using butter you use cultured butter and it's just like playing with these dials of, of food production on a sort of very mundane basic level you know um and everything just tasted different and it was just far more um yes yeah, far more satisfying and stimulating and and i was also yeah not having a bin and and then I started thinking about, you know, what is it, you know, this, this, this idea of a common denominator, what is it that separates what I'm now doing um, to other restaurants or cafes or food productions in these urban envi- environments, you know, and I was like trying to like put a, uh, a, a name to it, a label on it, I put a pin in it. And I came up with this, like this, this thing about industrialism. So what I was thinking of is like, well, this is how food was produced hundreds of years ago. You know, if you wanted to 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 make shortbread, you would churn butter. And and at what point in history did that change? You know, when did we start having butter ready to go in a shop and processed white flour ready to go in a shop? And I was like, well, you know, this these are all things brought to us via industrialism. You know, these industrial food systems that pre-process food and and then basically make them ready for us in a very convenient place. And so, yeah, that was the sort of this revel- revelatory moment, this epiphany where I called silo or zero waste a pre-industrial food system. And simply put, you know, industrialism creates waste. That is literally what creates waste. And to not have waste, i.e. a zero waste restaurant, you know, it's, it's, it's essentially the system in which we work to is a pre-industrial one. You know, the way, uh, you know, your, your, your grandparents' grandparents would, 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 would create food. Um, so, yeah, that's, that was a sort of the major um major sort of moment where it all sort of made sense and the sort of future was forged for me so to speak Mm. I mean when you describe it it's it's as though you know you're you're going back to a simpler time you know pre-industrial and when we were much closer connected to the food that we ate and very much our food was local as opposed to coming from hundreds of miles away thousands of miles away um, so it's a simpler time, but when you describe the process of making the shortbread, it 
it perhaps to some might sound harder. How do you overcome some of those challenges in a restaurant when you're making lots of food? Or how do we overcome some of those challenges Mm. at home when we want to reduce the amount of waste we use, but it's very difficult and humans by default are kind of lazy and and don't like change? How do you overcome some of those big challenges for yourself? And what might we learn from that as well? Sure. Um, so I'll separate that into two, uh, Claire. I think that um, the, the the zero waste in the restaurant and home, uh, because the zero waste at home aspect will hopefully we can talk about what I'm planning to do next, which is very much focused on being zero waste at home. Right. But, but prior to that, zero waste in the restaurant um as mentioned before you've got these sort of three pillars and that is a system change that's not what other restaurants do other restaurants will buy from wholesalers you know they might buy the odd bit from a directly from a farm but the vast majority is coming through a wholesale market which which then uh kind of that's where the plastic is um uh, not created but that's the plastic goes in to that food system because of that food system because essentially it's food security and uh, and and transport and logistics you know you have those plastic packages to protect the food in in a number of ways for that those logistics you know going through all these different hands and lorries and yeah. warehouses etc and also for security for food safety but so we avoid that and have it come direct and uh, prepare everything from scratch anyway um so so um to digress the the way we make that work is this analogy of like having a, a dashboard with all these little knobs to, to 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 twist until the system makes sense um so for instance um in restaurants um traditionally choice the more choice was the more kind of luxurious, the more lu- luxury, you know, you have loads of choice. Well, I think that times are changing and people are realizing that, you know, to it's unsustainable to maintain that amount of choice. You know, if you have um, a 50 cover restaurant and have um, 50 different dishes, then, you know, the food comes in and you're not going to know what, it's going to be sold and so you have to get in all this extra food and then it most of it goes to waste because some of it's not ordered etc etc or you run out which then defeats the point so having less choice means that we can have a tighter control on quality um and so you know with having a, a, a silo food system it's like uh, turning the, the the dial down on how much choice there is so it's less choice mm-hmm. to a point which is still you know an option for everyone mm-hmm. um and the food itself on the plate and um, will dial down how many kind of elements are on the dish you know you, instead of having 10 ingredients have three ingredients and of course they have to still um equal a, a plate of food that's as delicious as a plate of food with 10 ingredients. That's wow. the challenge which comes through, you know, and skill and creativity and, you know, determination. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, we were kind of like, 
you know, when creating this food system, like twiddling, twiddling these knobs around until the system sort of made sense. Um, but yeah, the, the product always has to be absolutely excellent. Um, we need to be sustainable back of house. You know, we don't want to be working people uh, too hard or losing money or all these different sort of variables needed to, to make sense, which is, you know, it's taken many, many years to, to, to get to that stage. Um, and also the kind of confidence in that, you know, processing the food in that way, i.e., you know, making everything from scratch, milling the flour, and it's the confidence that that will taste better than the other restaurants and their supply chains because they're not milling their flour fresh. So our bread will taste better. You know, we are getting this incredible um, produce straight from the ground and in, onto the plates in like 48 hours sometimes. And it just tastes better. And that's because of that uh, pre-industrial supply chain. So it's confidence that that will wow people, you know, with that, with that end product. So that's great. And that's for the restaurant. And that's sort of how it's kind of uh, very sort of um, breezed over the details quite, quite quickly, but um, that's sort of how we make it make sense. And mm. then at home, um, those three pillars are not really replicable. It's, you know, a direct supply chain to your home. How on earth do you make that work? Because the quantity of food is so minimal. And mm. for the logistics to make sense, well, it, it just doesn't because it basically has to come through a third party. Um, otherwise, there's no uh, efficiency in, in, in no cost efficiency, no wow. sustainable efficiency. And so there needs to be this sort of uh, middleman, so to speak. Um, and, and so that's sort of a whole other sort of uh, system that needs to be designed. And, um, and yeah, we're actually working on that via what's called the Zero Waste Cooking School. Um, which is the next project, um, which is about to launch in two weeks. Um, and it's basically a, a new system. It will be different to the sort of s the, 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 the silo system um, about how to be zero waste at home. Um, but yeah, I, I don't want to reveal too much of, the, oh, of, of that right. detail because it's going to launch in two weeks and I kind of want to keep a little bit as a surprise. We can share the detail that acorn aromatic will be featured in the school. That could be our sneak peek. Oh, yes. <laughs> yes, yeah, I sent you a screenshot, didn't I, of, yeah. um, of acorn aromatic. Um, small, uh, small plug there yeah. for, for little old acorn. It's, it's, it's interesting when, the, when you're describing the process at Silo um, and the limitations that, that are there because of the process and the ingredients that are available to you, you know, my, my, I'm putting myself in your shoes. I'd be thinking, God, you know, what if I, this is my, this is my insecurity, not yours, but what if I'm not up to scratch with whatever can come in creatively, the mm. pressure is, would be great on me to think, what if, what if I just can't think of anything to do with what's available or what if I want, what, what I wanted was available, isn't available. How do I pivot? Yeah. I hate that word, yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. But, <laughs> Then you describe the confidence that you have in your own abilities as a team and you, obviously, but also the confidence in flavor and that always mm. flavor will, will win, right? You know, whatever yeah. comes, yeah, totally. you're going you're gonna to have something that tastes incredible and you can work with that as opposed to the limitations of what is available. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. So we've got um, a number of recipes on the Zero Waste Cooking School, which are very much designed to adapt to whatever is in your fridge. Um, so it's not like the price, it's not necessarily the sole focus of the Zero Waste Cooking School because the, I, mm, the sole focus is... Um, it's kind of like the holistic lifestyle that that is is is, is journeying towards not having a bin to, to zero waste. But there's definitely an area of that journey which is um, like absorbing all the odds and ends or the ingredients that you perhaps haven't premeditated coming from farm drop or wherever you're getting your veg from. And these recipes uh, accommodate all of those oddities. Or, or, or things that you're not necessarily sure how to use. So to give you an example, we have, uh, uh, we call it the excess fried rice. So it's basically fried rice with whatever you have in excess, you know? So if you have bits and bobs from a previous dinner, a previous lunch or previous dish, you have excess, I don't know, cabbage leaves or cauliflower, the outer leaves from a cauliflower. And it's like how to absorb all of that into a fried rice dish, you know, the kind of rules to follow and, and how it can adapt to anything. Um, um, yeah, and we've got a number of dishes which have um, changeable recipe, uh, changeable ingredient variables. So a tagine, and it says, you know, use a nightshade, nightshade being peppers and tomatoes, et cetera, so, or aubergine. So it could be a tomato, an aubergine or a pepper. So no matter what nightshade is in your fridge or in your supply chain or, you know, what you fancy, it's adaptable. So there is, a, you know, a large amount of attention given to that sort of um, uh, unconfidence uh, that, that someone might have. Yeah, I was going to ask, do you think, you know, one of the, you know, or what, what do you think some of the barriers uh, are for people at home to, to do more of that? And I was going to ask, is, is, one of, is one of them of confidence um, yep. in their own cooking abilities? You know, Maybe talk about some of the other barriers that, that yeah. you're aware of. That I mean, access. Um, so there's, there's there's the extremes of like what's called food deserts, you know, where you have just no access to fresh food. Um, mm. Yeah, you're just in an area where you just don't have access to good food or or lifestyle um, access. You know, if you're if in your lifestyle you don't have time to to acquire good food, it's that's a barrier um, to people eating well and, and cooking for themselves so that's you know yeah it's accessibility to to that supply chain or, or the supply chain that hopefully i'm going to sort of um uh reveal um which is accessible to everyone <laughs> i mean i've also it's it's um what i want the zero waste cooking school to be is um uh, accessible to everyone for free so it will be you know an online platform um it'll be on youtube and there'll be a, a, an instagram page um dedicated to these videos and it will be free so anyone can watch it anywhere in the world um so that's kind of a, a a key thing for us you know is to make zero waste accessible to everyone and yeah within those channels within those communicate those uh, episodes we will talk about um how to access the right ingredients without the packaging um so yeah very excited nice. about that I'm very excited, and it's in two weeks. Yeah, yes. Um, we, uh, so it's it's proper, like, 
from the ground up. You know, we we haven't we wanted to start small. I say small. We 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 haven't. Um, it's just me and and Vic, who's um, a, a friend of mine um, from way way back, and he's been filming Silo in, in different iterations since before Silo Brighton even opened six yeah. years ago, seven years ago, and um, and so it's just Vic and I, and it's just the two of us. We've not got any funding. We've got no kind of sponsors, so to speak. So we have complete autonomy and you know creative control uh, because that's very important to both me and Vic is is to not compromise on the way we want things to be you know um so so yeah it's starting quite small it's kind of come out in two weeks uh, we think um and um yeah um, to be honest, time's fluid at the moment what what even is two weeks anymore yeah i don't know yeah i don't Christmas know time we blink so yeah two weeks ish. yeah yeah, exactly. Um, I just want to talk lastly a little bit about um, food and its ability to, to bring us together. And um, I think, you know, the, the, what you're doing with the cookery school is a, is a great way of um, helping more of us connect more meaningfully over what we eat. Do, yeah. do you yourself see uh, any connection between how we live slightly disconnected lives today and how and what we eat? Mm, absolutely you know um again I'll, I'll i'll kind of bring this analogy of um um industrialism because what industrialism does is is disconnect us from uh, the the nature that feeds us so you know if you're born and raised in a in an urban environment in a big city and you don't have uh, you don't see food grown uh, you have no relationship to food that's grown and therefore it kind of becomes this commodity um, for, for for that person. It, it, it's like this food is fuel thing again. You know, if you, if you, if you ever grow um, tomatoes or you, you grow um, uh, anything, your relationship to food changes. Your value for it is increased dramatically. You know how precious that food is to you because you've grown it. You've seen the energy and the time. You know what goes into growing food. So the thought of wasting that food is just absurd. Why would you waste it? It's so precious. You know, it's like wasting money or wasting something that's precious to you. It just doesn't make sense. And so, what industrialism does is it produces food out in places that we don't see it on a scale which is just like um it's so homogenous um and it's kind of it's no charm and no character you know these kind of uniform shaped carrots or whatever and it it, it kind of the value of food is so low food is so cheap and some people might not agree with that but it's definitely true like food is so cheap um too cheap um and that goes into that in the economical system that surrounds it but we won't get into that but um essentially what industrialism does is it devalues food so much that we just feel a lack of um empathy to that system and we, we we throw it away without any hesitation there's no laws against throwing food away there's you know no punishment or penalty there's no zero waste police you know um and and that's that disconnection um which is is, is very negative to yeah our behavior to food mm-hmm. 
Yeah, it's it's so interesting. We were talking to Claire Ratnan yesterday, who's an organic mm. urban grower, and you know she she said the same thing about um, you know we devalue food because we just don't have a connection to it. Yeah. Um, and and I and I, I mean, I grew a, I grew up a little bit like you, um, not having a great relationship to food. You know, I grew up in South London, and you know all I knew about food was that it came from Safeway, and that was it. Um, so I didn't have a relationship to food. So it took me probably until I was in my late twenties to really have any affection for it. Yeah. And it's only been yeah. the last, you know, twenty or so years that I'm, you know, super interested. Um, mm-hmm. But I was describing to Claire that randomly we grew a tomato plant in the back of our garden, and that was my first experience of growing and eating food. And then you really fall in love with. Mm-hmm. You know the flavor, the the experience. You know the 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 awe of something that's been grown by your own hands. And I wish Absolutely. more and more people could experience that. Absolutely. What do you think about food? The actual ability of food, or great food, great drinks, or food in general, just to bring us together more meaningfully. Well, I think like the food, food, and then like a, a table is like this social thread. So it threads together. It, you know, it, it creates a a positive social meeting place for people. Um, so in you know very very busy lives that keeps exponentially getting busier, <laughs> um, like a restaurant, a cafe, it is this space to 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 meet and to communicate and see the whites of people's eyes and um yeah and 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 sort of have a moment um and that's you know i don't think i need to explain why that's so important and yeah food is that sort of thread i can't think of um food and drink you know that is the um thing that we all have in common everywhere in the world um and yeah um it's it's um yeah accessible to everyone well that's actually not true but yeah that's the point of of food and and it's bringing people together it's that thread Mm. and now more than ever it's super important and be great when we can reclaim the dining room table away from all of the zoom calls that we have and actually just use it for eating Uh, (laughs) (laughs) yeah um, so just lastly, Doug, I'm, I'm interested to know, um, you know, what's what's most important in your life right now with all the what's going on and all the all the plates that you're spinning. What's what's most important to you now? Um, what's important, the most important to me right now is is and always is uh, my, my my team at Silo. Um, so yeah, it's it's. Um, you know, Silo is like a child. Uh, I have a child, and. Um, and uh, it's uh, it's a difficult child. It's uh, it's brilliant, but um, it's it presents a lot of um, dilemmas, and it presents um, you know good moods and bad moods. And um, I cannot take care of it on my own, and and definitely uh, require. Uh, need rely on uh, a team of people to to keep that baby healthy and um and yeah i have just the most incredible team i have had for i've been so lucky and i have a few 
theories as to why I've always had such an amazing team, but essentially for the last sort of five years, Brighton and and London just attract the best people. And I mean like people with just such good values, people with, you know, such attention to detail, such professionals and so much respect for 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 the system in which we've propagated. And um I just have the best team of people and I'm so grateful for that. I'm never, you know, I never want to take that for granted. So, you know, every opportunity I can to pinch myself, I do. Um, so yeah, definitely my team is what's most important to me. Mm. There's definitely a, a lovely family vibe when you're set at the counter at Silo yeah. and watching you all working and it's, there's a sort of beautiful harmony in what you do and uh, it's like mm. a, a lovely dance. It's, uh, I recommend Everybody goes to Silo and just have that experience. Um, my dog's just come back. Hi. Did you have a nice time in the rain? Here he is. Mm-hmm. He say hi. Hello. Hello. Hello, Mac. You stink. Um, well, this, is a, this was um, such a lovely conversation. Thank you so much for taking the time. Really Absolute super pleasure, Claire. Excited, super excited to, um, to see the cookery store come to life. Absolutely. And we'll see you uh, in Silo very soon. And for uh, anybody that wants to hear more about what you're doing or follow you, where can they go? Um, I would always direct people to the silo and, and my Instagram page. So um, McMaster Chef is my Instagram handle. Silo London is the silo one. And then the Zero Waste Cooking School um, is the Zero Waste Cooking School handle. <laughs> um, and then, yeah, everything kind of all the information amasses in those spaces. Lovely. Thanks so much. We wish you all the best and I'll see you in Silo next week for a glass of wine. Beautiful. Thanks, Claire. I hope you enjoyed that episode. Join me next time when I'll be chatting to the award-winning wine journalist, writer, broadcaster and now publisher, Jane Parkinson, where we explore her accidental journey into the wine world and why increasingly it's cool to be kind. See you next time.